Hello and welcome to the Leading Change Podcast, where we will be talking to real leaders who have led real change. With me today on our show is Kirk Lacob, Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations with the Golden State Warriors. Kirk is in a unique position because he has access to the business side as well as to the basketball side and has seen the Warriors rise to tremendous success. And we're so excited to have him on the show. Thank you so much for being here, Kirk. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Excited to talk today. Yeah. And we're going to be really diving into, I think, a really cool conversation, though it's no secret that the Warriors have had huge success. But I think we're going to talk about that success from a little bit of a different angle. We want to sort of dive into the culture of the Warriors organization. So just to get us started, though, you have a really cool job. You're involved in a lot of different things. Can you kind of paint the picture for the folks listening and just give them a sense of what you're involved in and the high level of your, your role? Yeah, sure. Um, as you said, my, my position is, is somewhat unique in sports. Um, I'm the executive vice president of basketball operations on the basketball side. I've been working for the Warriors for uh, over 10 years now. I believe this is my 11th season, um, although to be honest, it gets really hard to remember. They, they all kind of mash together after a while. Um, and so, so my job on the basketball side is to kind of be the, the second in command behind Bob Myers. I'm our president GM of basketball operations, do whatever needs to get done. Um, you know, whatever Bob feels he's not great at, um, I need to figure out how to be good at, um, you know, uh, on top of that, I have, I have typical duties, whether it's scouting college pro international minor league, um, oversee our analytics department, uh, started our, our minor league team back when it was the D league. It's now the G league. Um, you know, for the most part, let those guys run and, and do what they want. Um, but you know, they're there when they need advice, um, you know, oversee the budget. Uh, so, so lots of different things. Um, but I think what's unique is, is typically you see the business side and, and the basketball side, not necessarily completely in sync. Um, and, and we believe that synergy is really important. So I, I go to every single executive staff meeting. Um, I'm kind of the voice uh, for basketball unless Bob can make it. Um, so, you know, any, any conversation with regards to how corporate partnerships might work or, you know, how PR thinks we should be attacking something or what the marketing department needs help with in terms of players, you know, I'm there for them to help guide them from a basketball standpoint. Um, and it's, it's definitely a lot of fun to be able to see both sides. I, I get to use both parts of my brain. Um, and, and frankly, it's something I've always wanted to do. I, I did not think I was going to end up in sports. It was my dream. Um, but I actually thought I would be either in venture capital or start my own company. And so I, for years have kind of felt like I'm getting to scratch both those itches. Um, but in addition to that, um, and, and talking about venture capital, uh, I'm the VP of GSW sports ventures for the Warriors, which, um, unclear what that actually is at this point still, uh, but four years in it's, it's effectively our investment arm, uh, for the Warriors. And that, that also, uh, can, can look a bunch of different ways, uh, from direct investment to incubating companies, um, you know, one of our first kind of direct investments was in esports. So we have entire esports line of the organization that reports to me. Um, another thing where you know my goal is just to find the best people who, who know it better than I do and just help guide them to be the best version of themselves. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place, uh, but in a good way, and I get to touch a lot of different parts of the organization. Yeah, I think you've been with the Warriors for 12 years. In that span of 12 years, 
they have they have dominated. They've won three championships, broke the single season NBA um, regular season record, and I think that they've also just um, reached a level of stardom that I think it's really rare that an organizational reach. So what I want to start with is just understanding culturally sort of the makeup of the Warriors. Like, is culture a part of what's created the success? They owe, by the way, for non-sports fans, the Warriors happen to have a guy in their team named Steph Curry who might be the best basketball player in the world today and he's the best shooter of all time. So um, let's kind of dive in. How do you guys think about culture and has it played a role in the success of the organization over the course of the last 12 years? Uh, well, I think, you know, you're hitting on the right, right thing here. Culture is everything, uh, to us. Now, I think saying that we, we often conflate what culture really means. Um, but it's, it's something that I've been taught from a very young age. And I'll I'll tell you a little anecdote here, but, uh, my father used to work, uh, as venture capitalist for Kleiner Perkins Coughlin Byers, very, very well-known venture capital firm. And, um, they, they, (laughs) had this long running thing where they used to bring food to the office every single day for everybody who worked there. Um, and for years it went on. And then for a little bit, you know, they had a new CFO come in and they were trying to go through and make sure the budget was set correctly. And they tried to cut out the daily food. And, um, my dad actually basically stood up on the table and said, absolutely not. People love free food. It's what brings people together. Even if it doesn't matter, these people all can afford food. This is part of what makes us us. Um, and so they, they kept it and it's something, you know, we've, we've brought with us. It's, it's one of those things that, um, shouldn't matter a ton, but really matters to people. And, and I guess the question I've always asked myself is why, why does that matter? Um, it's, it's become a huge touch point for our team as well. We make sure that our players have food, um, and high, high level food at, at all times. Um, I think what I found is it really brings people together. Um, people love to sit around and eat a meal. Um, and they love to feel like they are welcome, that they are valued. And for whatever reason, free food gives you that feeling. So, you know, why, why that anecdote, um, on top of free food, just being great, um, and, and everyone loving it, I think culture starts at the top. Um, it is something that has to be set by your leaders and, and they are going to decide what it is. Culture is not a one size fits all. Not every single company is going to have the same culture, um, but you're going to be uh, you're going to be some form of what your leadership is. Um, <clears throat> now, you mentioned Steph Curry. Uh, there is no Golden State Warriors without Steph Curry. Let's let's be clear that because uh, <laughs> as the leader on the court, he sets that tone. He sets a tone for unselfishness, uh, for work ethic, and and we'll get into some of these later. But for some of our core tenets, uh, joy, compassion. Um, so, so Steph sets that, uh, but, but Joe, my, my father also helps set that on, on the rest of the business. And, and I think he, he realized that with the food thing, um, years and years ago. Um, and, and he's been part of starting 70 companies. And so, you know, you see the things that work and the things that don't, um, at the end of the day, uh, like I said, your culture is only as good as your leadership, but, but who is that leadership? Um, I, I think as a leader, you're only good as the people you surround yourself with, um, and so, you know, this is a very long-winded way of saying, at the end of the day, culture is people. Your culture is, is the people that you have, whether you're a basketball team and it's the, the players in the locker room and the coaches, or whether you're a business, um, you know, that's, that's focused specifically on quarterly sales, or, you know, you're, you're in digital marketing. It doesn't matter. Your culture is, is built by your people. 
Um, you can't forget that. And, and ultimately, I think that's why culture is something that can change over time. Uh, but good culture is good culture. And, and I think it's one of those things like we all know it when we see it, um, but it's kind of hard to define sometimes. So hopefully we can help define somewhat what it is for, for some people today. Um, but if, if you had to ask what is culture, I'd say it's, it's the people um, in your company and, and how, they, um, how they conduct business, how they, how they treat each other. So I, to your point, I think when people look at the Golden State Warriors, they probably wouldn't know that the the owner has started 70 companies and is obsessed with culture. And that's a big priority of the organization. They see Steph Curry hitting in every three that, that's out there and they think that's why, right? So c- could you kind of walk us into some of what the culture looks like? You mentioned some of the tenets and some of the things that have driven um, the success of the organization. Yeah, so um, I we've talked about this before. Um, we, we have some core tenants organization. We actually built uh, what we kind of call family tree for the players. It's the last thing that they see before they hit the court. Um, but these, these mantras, these, uh, these ideas, these concepts, these, these have lived in, in our building for years and, and in the minds of our players. And, and it's really cool. I mean, we, we talk about the difference between what a sports team is like and a business. They're very similar in a lot of ways. In this case, for our business, they are the same. They're, they're one and the same. And I think What's really cool is those same core tenants um, are part of our business and our basketball side. Um, everybody lives the same thing. So, wow. you know, some of those key ones are joy. I mentioned before, um, you know, we are always going to be better at the things that we enjoy and we're going to enjoy things that we're good at. Um, so, you know, I think that's sometimes people call that passion. Um and I, I think, frankly, in this case, the two are, are basically the same, joy and passion. Um, it's just a specific way of showing passion. Uh, but but we, we like to show joy. Um, compassion uh, is, is really important. Again, you know, could use a number of other synonyms for it. Um, empathy is, is something we've used as well. Uh, but it's just, and I've, I've always liked the word perspective. Um, I think understanding what other people are going through, um, understanding somebody else's viewpoint um, is, is really key. Uh, and you know, then we, we believe in working hard, but not just working hard, working smart. Um, you can sit there all day and bang your head against the wall, but is that productive? Um, it's impressive to do it all day, but, but you need to be productive. So we, we believe in working smart, um, as, as a part of working hard. Uh, and, and the last thing is this started as like a, a motto in the locker room years ago. And it's, it's become, probably the the main model that you hear about uh but strength in numbers um and and i said earlier how important i think people are to culture to me strength in numbers says exactly that um you're only as good as the collective um you know you you have to all work together for for something greater um and and that became a literally a marketing motto uh for us it became a very public facing thing but it's funny how often you'd walk into a meeting and someone would reference strength in numbers internally um that to me tells us how strong um, people, strongly people identified with it. Uh, the fact that they were using it in internal meetings when it was at one point an external thing, even though it originally came from an internal thing within the team. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are some of our core tenants. And, and like I've said, I mean, in, unless the people who are out there that, that you see that are leaders um, actually embody those things, it doesn't matter what words you use. Um, but you know, I'll just, I'll come back to Steph Curry really briefly to end the question, but is there anyone you've ever seen that embodies joy more than Steph Curry? I mean, we saw it the other day. 
I know. He has he, so much fun. He right? has his new shimmy. I think we saw it the other day. I don't want to try it because I'll, I'll ruin it. But like, <laughs> you know, nobody looks like they're having more fun uh, doing their job, playing a game than Steph Curry. And I think that's, that's fantastic. And it, it really does um, trickle down to everybody else. Um, when you see somebody like that who's so great at their craft enjoying it, um, it, it really breeds joy through everybody else. So I think people could, that are listening can relate to the tenets that you described because you're talking about your values. And I think you said something really powerful. Those tenets are only as good as, as the amount that people live them. We could have all the fancy posters on our, on our website and on the walls of our offices or our locker rooms. Um, but, but if we don't live them, then they're all for naught. So it's really interesting just to think about a basketball team getting focused on values and finding ways to live them, right? I think we probably think about basketball practice as what generates wins. H- how do players live them? How does Steve Kerr, who's the head coach, you know, bring them to life so that they actually direct behavior and make us a stronger organization? Um, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly the right question to ask. Um, we can absolutely, we can say these things, but until, until you live them and you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to come back to people again. Um, <clears throat> you need to have the right people. Um, you need to recruit the right people. You need to put people in the right position, uh, to be the best version of themselves. I think that's what leadership is to me. Um, enabling people to be the best version of themselves. Um, and, and when they do that, um, they're able to embody these things because you've, you've hopefully either selectively picked people who already somewhat um, embody these qualities uh, or you're training them. Um, you're, you're putting them in an environment and around other people. Um, and, and you've identified qualities in, in these new people that they can adapt or learn or grow to be like the others that you have. Um, so you, it's really about fostering that growth. Um, so, you know, how, how do we embody these things? I mean, <clears throat> Steph, I already said, but he emanates joy. I mean, that's who he is as a person. So I don't know if joy would be the the word we would use if we didn't necessarily have Steph Curry. Do I think we would use passion in another sense? Yes, probably. Um, but, but it might be a different form of passion. Um, I, I can tell you as an example, my, my dad, Joe, I don't know if, if he and Steph have the same version of passion. Joe is more built like Draymond Green. Um, they're, they're more hard on your sleeve, uh, just almost like overly, um, overly aggressive, um, you know, hate to lose types, not, not love to win, but hate to lose types. Um, right. But you know, when, again, when you have Steph as, as kind of the person you're putting up there, um, you have to decide what, what version of that word you're going to use and, and joy is perfect. Um, and so even when you have a Joe Lake, a, a Draymond Green, those guys around Steph, he, he brightens everything up. So even though they have this version of passion that is um, kind of raw, uh, it, it always ends up being joy um, in some way. He just, he brings a smile to people's faces. So, you know, if you're asking how, how can we adapt that to an office, um, identify who your culture setter is. Who, who is the person that most greatly, you know, overshadows or embodies, uh, the kind of core tenants and, and really feed off of that energy. I think, um, sometimes that's the president of the company, a CEO. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's somebody else. Sometimes it's a VP of HR, sometimes marketing person. Sometimes it's the receptionist. Everyone sees at the front. Um, you just, you need to find what it is that people are good at and, and 
really what they embody and really nourish that. And I think empower them. And, and I know I keep saying that word, but like, I really do believe empowering people to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And I want to, I want to come back to that in a second, because I know that that's been a big tenant of how you've been able to get involved in so many different roles. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, but, but I, I love where you're going with how do you live these values? Because what you're saying is you have to find people who embody them. And when you're hiring, when you're bringing people into your group, you can't just look at the talent. You can't just look at the attributes or skills. You have to look at the whole package. So I think that's super interesting for those who aren't sports fans, where you work is you are responsible for building the dynamics of the team, for making all the decisions. Who are we going to bring in? What are we going to structure their contract like? I mean, the, your job is to build this dynamic, long-term, successful team. So can you just kind of walk us through the role that culture plays in making some of those decisions? Because I'm sure you see really talented basketball players and you're like, man, we want him on our team so badly, but I don't know if he's going to body joy. I don't know if he's going to be able to see others' perspectives. So, can you just kind of walk us through some of those some of those decisions? Yeah. So, I you know I have a couple um, I guess examples of of how I think team building works. One, this is probably true in in almost anything, but specifically in basketball. You know, there's there's a very select few who are so overly talented. It doesn't really matter where they go. Um, you know, LeBron James. We've seen it. No matter what team he goes to they're going to be really good. Now, whether they win the championship or not is based on other things, but there are a few players who are just so unbelievably talented. It, it just doesn't matter where they end up. They're going to be extremely successful. And I think we all know those people in life too, right? Um, that kind of golden child, just wherever they go, um, things things tend to go in the right direction. You want, you want to find those people and you want to hold on to them. <laughs> um, but, you know, outside of that, once once you get that that kind of key leadership, that core, um, you want people around that, that, that really fit, I think what you're doing. And, and as an NBA example, I think, you know, you maybe see 10 to 20 of these uber talented people. Um, there's maybe another 50 who are really, really talented, but you know, won't necessarily be uber successful by themselves. They, they kind of need the right running mate. There are another 400 jobs in the NBA. And those 400 people are incredibly talented at basketball. They're the top half of a percent in the world. But let me tell you, they're not significantly different or more talented than the next two to 3,000 who are outside the NBA. And so what matters is how they fit. Um, are they on the right team with the right leader who fits their styles? At the right point in their career, do their skill set fit with the coaches? Um, you know, <clears throat> are they getting the right uh, opportunity at the right time? Um, so I think... You know, there are certainly a lot, there's a lot that plays into people fitting and, and coalescing then as a team to win something. So um, that that is tricky and, and it's really all about fit. Um, so we, we talked about this a little earlier, but finding the people who fit around your kind of, I mean, there's almost like a heliocentric theory to an extent, but find the people that fit around your culture setters. Um, and they're going to be better off for it. They're going to be, the, again, I'm going to say this, they're going to be the best versions of themselves. And that's what's going to make them valuable. Um, so, you know, we we have a, we joke about this, but we have kind of a, a one and a half asshole rule um, <clears throat> in the locker room. We believe that every locker room can, can at least, you know, the way ours is set up specifically, but uh, can sustain one and a half assholes. Um, so what does that mean? 
Um, you know, I think you get one one real asshole, somebody who really stirs the pot. And and by asshole, I don't mean like a bad person. Um, I mean somebody who can be difficult. Um, and and you know maybe isn't uh, exactly the same as everybody else. Uh, somebody who who really um, you know mucks things up. Um, and, and by the way, I think that's good. You don't want everybody to be the same um, because I think that breeds groupthink. It breeds complacency. You want to challenge people. So that one asshole is actually really important. Now we allow another half of an asshole because um, I think there's a lot of people. I'll call them fifty fifties. Uh, you know, people who, if they're around the quote unquote, the right people, you know, they'll, they'll kind of follow whatever is in front of them. And if they're around a group that say in the NBA that really likes to go out and get in trouble, they'll go that way. If they're around, you know, kind of a goody two shoes group who just wants to show up practice and do the drills and say, yes, yes, sir. To the coach and do whatever they'll do that. Um, so we can, we can take one of those and, and that way sometimes they have to follow, you know, the kind of the person who's not quite on board. Um, but like I said, I actually believe having a little bit of that is important. Um, so when I say, you know, we, we try not to go over the one and a half, we also kind of want to be right there. Um, because, you know, I, I think in anything, and you see this specifically in sports teams because it's so cyclical year to year, and they travel so much close with each other. So maybe the time frame is different and what I'll call real life, um, like a business, but like, you don't really want the same group, the same people around each other every day forever. Um, it's like, you know, we get in fights with our siblings. Um, for anybody out there who has a sibling, I mean, you love them to death, but if for me, if I'm with my brother for 24 hours a day for four straight days, we're going to get in a fight. Um, oh yeah, it's happening. It's it's happening. And so I think, um, you know, I'm not saying replace your siblings, but like, I think it's important to have uh, a little bit of change every once in a while. Um, and it's important to kind of have mix in different personalities, uh, to make sure that your, your culture stands up to it. Um, and to make sure you're challenged because, you know, success, uh, in one instance is not guaranteed to work the next time either. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but like, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's going from bad to good, in my opinion, especially in basketball, but I think in a lot of things it's pretty easy. Like if you are smart, you work hard, you work smart, um, Bad to good is easy. Good to great is really hard. Um, and staying great is damn near impossible. Um, to sustain success, the highest level is so, so, so hard because every little thing uh, can and will go wrong. Um, and so it means that, you know, the changes you have to make are so quick and so minute. Um, it's, it's just really difficult. I'd actually love for you to teach um, maybe those who aren't sports fans a little bit about Draymond Green. Because he he's he's sort of the guy, uh, and you can you can dive into his personality. But that because the word you said was challenger, like someone who kind of challenges the group and pushes you forward. And while you have Steph on one end of the spectrum, who is joy and fun and passion, Draymond is is very different. Uh, and I think I think a lot of times we we see a Draymond and we're like, ooh, I don't know if we should have this person on their on our team. But but to your point, Draymond brings a huge diversity of thought. And so could you just kind of give some backdrop there? Because I think a lot of people could relate to that person and you could kind of explain how to get value out of someone who, who challenges. Yeah, uh, he, <clears throat> Draymond Green is, I, I think you described him well. He is, uh, he's a potster. He's, he's somebody who likes to muck things up. Uh, he really loves to challenge you head on. Um, he's almost, I mean, we all know this person in our life, but like he almost needs to get in a fight. 
um, to rev himself up, to rev you up. Um, and, and we can, you know, we can discuss what fight means, you know, in, in a business. I don't think you want people yelling no. at each other in a conference room or pushing each other or anything, but, um, he's that sort, but he's, he's also a force multiplier. Um, what he does best is he figures out the best way to push the right buttons in people and to get them going and, and to get the most out of them. Um, he raises, he raises your floor, you know, he picks up the energy and he, he revs up the engine. Um, you know, I, I, I could, I'm sure we'd all know exactly the person in your life that I'm talking about when I say those things and they would know who Draymond Green is now, even if they've never seen him play before. Um, so I, I don't think you can be successful without that sort of person. Um, <clears throat> he is, I mean, I go on and on. There's so many unique things about Draymond. He's, he's also a genius. Um, but it's, it's all that, um, you know, I, I almost think some people view it as like an anti-hero sort of thing. You know, you're not a villain by any stretch, but you're like, like an anti-hero. Um, and he embraces that role. Um, I think that's important. Um, a lot of people in this world love to be loved or, or want to be liked. Um, it's okay to not have everybody like you at every moment in every day. Um, it's okay to challenge the status quo. Uh, if we don't, we never move forward. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's, it's that difference of opinion. It's that, um, it's, it's that willingness to, to push against the establishment. I think that's, that's really valuable, uh, that, that he brings to the table. Um, so to me, that is a huge key pillar of culture. Um, you know, the, the ability to adapt over time and to not be complacent. Um, that, that is really, really huge. And so, you know, guys like him are, are invaluable in my opinion. Yeah. I think, I think translating into the business world, sometimes when we think about culture, we want everyone to agree. We want to have a yeah, really happy environment where everyone's always on the same page. And I think the value of someone like a Draymond Green is that he's going to create really good discussion and he's going to push us and challenge us and because there's so much value to your point from breaking from groupthink and from breaking from the status quo to find new and better ways of doing things. And, and I like, I, I want to touch on something you just said. Um, you, you said how, you know, we don't want everybody to be happy all the time, or everything to be perfect all the time. You know, there, there's this concept of yin and yang, right? Like we don't know joy without pain. Um, you don't know good without bad. Um, you don't know happy without anger. Like you, you have to have that, that other force pushing on you. So I think what you said is, is really, really key. Like you can't have everybody smiling at each other all the time saying everything is great. Everything is great because guess what? It means not everything is great. It, it means that you're just kind of living like this. Um, and I think the whole point is, is not to do this, right? It's actually to do this and this. Now you want to get this, you want, <laughs> you want to go up, yep. but how do you even know yep. what up is like without going down? Um, such a good point. Such a good point. So the, the Warriors for, for folks who maybe aren't sports fans, 2015, 2016 season, I believe it was, they broke the uh, NBA record for number of wins in a season. And I think it was 73. Is that right, Kirk? I didn't write it down. Yeah. I should have. So they went 73 and nine then in an 82 game season, which is outrageous. Right. And, and, and that achievement in and of itself is almost like has hierarchy over cha some, a championship in some people's eyes because that is a crazy accomplishment. So during that season, you were around, you were there. Is that all rainbows and butterflies? And we're winning, now we're at 65, now we're at 68, now we're at 71. Or what was the culture of the team like that year? 
And and how did a guy like Draymond sort of you know play out as the year went on? Is you're having insane success. So it, that that was a really interesting year on on so many levels. And I I can talk about that, you know, a whole different exclusive podcast. I, I can talk about that for an hour, but um, I, I won't. I'll try to touch on, on a few things. So one, um, we had actually won the championship for the first time in 40 years the year before, and it was a surprise to a lot of people. And um, the rhetoric was that we were lucky, um, that it was kind of a flash in the pan, wouldn't happen again. And so our team really rallied around it. They felt disrespected, um, especially Draymond. And they came to start the next season with a chip on their shoulders. Um, we, we came out of the gate and won the first 24 games that year. And I have never been a part of a stretch like that. Um, we were in such a groove on, in, in just this unbelievable role. Uh, it was like nothing could go wrong. And I think, you know, looking back on it, at some point, people start to like wait for the shoe to drop. Um, they're like looking for something to go wrong. But like we were having, we had no injuries and we were just steamrolling and everyone was getting along. And, you know, it, it was great. Um, but we all kind of felt like this can't continue. Right. Um, so eventually we lost a game and, you know, look, we, we just kept going, but you know, the pressure started to mount as the season went on and it's amazing. You can be that successful and somewhat lose a little bit of the enjoyment because you're so focused on what you're doing. Um, I, I won't say that it wasn't enjoyable. It was extremely enjoyable. Um, but the, the pressure certainly mounted. Um, everyone wanted to break the record. Um, we did finally. Um, and it was an incredible accomplishment. Uh, we were a little beat up from chasing it and, and ultimately had some injuries. Um, and I think kind of ran out of steam and, and ran out of emotional steam too. Um, and you know, uh, if you look back on the, the record books now, we didn't win the championship that year. Um, there was a whole thing about, you know, uh, 73 don't mean, mean a thing without a ring. Uh, became kind of a rallying cry for those who, who didn't want to believe in the team. And, uh, you know, LeBron and the Cavaliers had this incredible comeback down three games to one against us. But we had our own incredible comeback before that that people forget about against Oklahoma City. And uh, look, I look back on that year with extreme fondness. Um, it was in some ways the the peak of basketball that I've ever seen and the peak of joy. Um, but you know, we ended on a sour note. Um, and I think what's great about that is the team didn't curl up. Um, and they weren't, you know, so upset and, and destroyed by it. Uh, they actually came back stronger. Now we obviously ended up uh, chasing and signing Kevin Durant. Um, and then next year was, I would argue even better. We, we won six, only, only 67 games, I think, um, <laughs> instead of 73, but steamrolled through the playoffs, uh, won the first 15 games in the playoffs, lost one, and then won the last one. Um, but, you know, what, what you see is that kind of evolution of, of culture. And even though we had won the year before, we weren't, you know, the ultimate champions yet. Um, and so you just keep having to dig down and find, you know, what, what keeps you going and, and what keeps uh, a team being productive and being a team and being, being close. Um, so it was, a, it was a really valuable year. Uh, we, we learned a ton about what it takes uh, to ultimately win. And, and I think the other thing to note about that is, uh, you know, sports and basketball is a little different than most businesses um, in that, you know, as a business, if you, if you won 73 games, you're kind of just doing this and this and this, and you're going up. 
Um, and it kind of doesn't stop. Like maybe you flatten or something, but like in basketball, you win 73 games, you're at the top. You're right back down here at the start of the playoffs. And once the playoffs are over, everybody's back down here. You're all equal again. So the next season, you got to do it again. Um, so what I've always thought is, is interesting is uh, when our, our first season that we won the championship, uh, I was sitting there with about five minutes to go and it started dawning me, we we're actually going to win the championship. Like, holy shit, the Warriors, us, we're going to win the championship. Um, and, you know, we, we win. And I will tell you, the feeling was odd in a little bit. Now, looking back on it, it shouldn't have been that surprising, but I was a little odd. I was like, well, shouldn't I, be feel, shouldn't I feel different? We, just, we won the championship. And I almost felt more, I don't want to say relief. That's not really the right word. Um, but I, I guess I realized that winning the championship wasn't all that mattered. It was actually started looking back on it. it was all the fun the years before we won and all the fun that years we were building towards it um, that made it really, really fun. Um, and it was the people I had done it with. It was the journey. It was the ups and the downs. And winning kind of was the capstone. And, and believe me, it was great. I loved spraying champagne on people. I love having champagne sprayed on me. Love being on a you know bus in, in a, um, you know, with a million people around you. But you realize that it's not the mountaintop. It's climbing the mountain and the people you do it with. That, that actually is, is the key part. Um, but what, what also I found really interesting is no more than 10 minutes after that. So I'm covered in champagne. Um, and uh, my, my dad, who's, who's our CEO, comes to me, uh, Bob, our, our GM, and he looks at us and he goes, okay, how do we be better next year? And I mean, the audacity. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we just yeah. won a championship, 67 years, yeah. first championship, 40 years, the audacity to say, how can we be better next year? 10 minutes later, I thought it was great. I just started laughing because I grew up with him and I, I knew this is how he's going. I started laughing. And I will tell you what, that wasn't the last time we heard that. We won 73 games the next year. We obviously lost in the championship, so there was more to go. Same thing. This time it was five minutes after. Instead of dwelling on it, oh, we lost. It's so sad. He comes and goes, how can we be better? The next year, we win again. We go 16-1. How can we be better? And I, I love that. I mean, some people... I think struggle with it a little bit because it's like, how dare you? Like we've, we've done this whole um, climb to the top. It's been brutal. We put in all this work. How can you not let us enjoy this? And um, I think that's when, when we talk about leadership setting the culture, like he wanted people to enjoy it. Believe me, he, he enjoyed it. Um, while he was enjoying it, he was thinking, how can we be better? And he's pushing us. He's thinking, he's telling us guys, don't rest on our laurels. We won. That's great. But like, we got to be better. And I think that's a great, Great thing, you know, as, as we see wins in business, um, it's great to celebrate them, uh, but it's it's also great to realize that there could be something more. Um, and, and how do we get there? How do we look back at the things we did well and do them even better? How do we look back at the things we did poorly and fix those? Um, I think it's exhausting for some people. It's never ending. <laughs> um, I am energized by it personally. I, I really love it. And sports is very unique in that you – it's binary. So like by definition, at the end of the year, you have to start over. Um, yep. and yet you have to do that whole thing again. So I, I actually think what you just talked about is so relatable for people, because I think what we've seen in the pandemic 
whether you're a software team or whether you are in an accounting department, I think that a lot of people have have actually pivoted and overcome challenge and they've won their version of a championship. And I think all the different things that you described that you went through when you had success, we've seen, there are certainly teams that are struggling, but we've seen so many teams that have been able to rise to the occasion. And they almost have that same feeling the Warriors had where they're like, can we keep this going? And fatigue is starting to set in because, you know, what we're seeing are people are working longer hours, they're getting more done, they're helping their businesses. So I think that's actually a really cool question to kind of just drill down on is what would be your really specific advice for that team out there? that is starting to come come up against some fatigue that is sort of seeing the trend and being like wow we've been doing so well and we're you know how do we keep this pace right because um, i think that's such a relatable feeling that we've seen yeah so i i explained how you know in basketball and sports we we have to start over every year so it helps because you know well, we had it last year you have one bad year and you're like oh man don't want to do that again uh, but you have the chance to start over in a business. You, you don't, if you have a bad year, you screw up. Like that's bad. Um, it's not like we're just, everyone's starting from like, you're, you're starting from a lower spot the next year. Um, but I think, you know, you, you raise a really good point. Like how do you keep it going? And I think um, it, there's a couple things here. It's, you know, one, you, you really dive into the things that you do well. Um, you remember what those are. You, you really think about your, your core culture of tenants uh, I think it's important to remember that not everything stays the same forever. Um, change is okay. Change is good. Um, I can tell you, uh, you know, my, it, everybody wants to stay with their team forever, right? If you're winning, if you're good, if you're growing, you want to stay with your team. And, and the reality is that's not the way it works. When you do great, people are rewarded. To me, I found that was actually the best part. Um, I got to see uh, people who I've worked with from the beginning, 11 years ago, uh, rise to you know be leaders with their own teams and other jobs, whatever is, and that their happiness, their joy, their ability to lead others, that's actually what made me happiest. I found it took me a few years to pinpoint what it was that I cared about, but as I saw more and more of these people, and um, I, I mean, I'll go back to like, we, I told you I started our, our minor league team, our D league team it was in Bismarck, North Dakota, nine years ago. And uh, I had an, uh, an initial group with me there. I want to say it was like six or seven people. Every single one of them is now in the NBA. Um, this wow. is a minor league franchise in Bismarck, North Dakota. Every single one has a job in the NBA now. Um, and one of them, actually, the head coach I hired is his first head coaching job. He's actually now the head coach of the Indiana Pacers this year. Um, so it's, it's seen that. For people. Um, and I think that is very something you can absolutely take and, and look at. Like if you're a company in a growth stage, you want to see your younger people grow and become leaders themselves and take that stuff and fly the coop, go somewhere else, do it or, or become leaders with you because one of your you know leaders went in and started their own thing. I think um, that's how you can really, you want to see people grow and you want to, I, I use this term a ton at the beginning of the, the talk, but um you want to empower people to be the best version of themselves. And sometimes, in fact, often, that doesn't mean being with you forever. Um, so, you know, how do you really sustain that? You you help people grow and adapt, and you eventually, unfortunately, have to replace them, and you better do a damn good job replacing them with good people. And so it's kind of cyclical um, and never-ending. Uh, but what did I say at the very beginning? What is culture? Culture is the people. 
and, and it starts at the top, but ultimately um, you got to fill things in. So, you know, as, as you're growing as a company, say your first year, you know, you did really great. Maybe you were a startup and you had 10 people um, in 10 years from now, those 10 people are probably not going to be here. You hope they are all somewhere doing other things and you've got other people working with you. Um, you're probably a much bigger company. Maybe you're a thousand people now. You need to make sure that those new thousand people embody what those original 10 did. Um, or maybe they're even better. I don't know. But I think this is circling all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, which is just make sure that, you know, you, you set some sort of standard from the top. Um, your, your leaders have to do it. And that the people fit around that and, and that you continue to help build and grow those people. Yeah, I, I love the direction you're going with that because it sounds like, and I, I, I think when we get really focused on our results, we can get tense, we can get tight. But when we focus on the growth we're creating in others, and when we're focused on the meaning of our jobs, I think that's how we can sustain, right? That's how we can keep going because there's a bigger purpose there. Um, that's awesome. That's so good. So just, yeah, I said I would loop back around and I just want to get there. Um, your, your dad is the owner of the Warriors and you've been able to have incredible success throughout the organization. And it, for me, it feels like you like start one job and then you do that one and you go to this other one and you've had a lot of success. And so um, empowerment is the word you've used a lot. So I'd, I'd love to, to just kind of hear from you, your mindset, moving away from basketball a little bit to, to more you personally about sort of what empowerment means to you and how it's helped you grow um, in a situation that seems easy on paper, but it's probably kind of hard that your dad is the, is the owner and that you're involved in basketball operations. So I'd love for you to help us kind of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Um, look, I, I am never going to complain about my situation. Uh, it is, it's amazing. I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, the amount of people that ever are given this chance in life is, is so, so few. So I, I want to be absolutely clear about that. I, I would never complain, but you're right. It's, it's not, um, it's not always the easiest, uh, it's not, well, let me, let me put this. It's not always rainbows and butterflies. Um, you know, one, I'd like to point out that, uh, my dad cares deeply, deeply about winning. He's maybe the most competitive person I know. And so I have no doubt that he would fire his own son. Um, if he had, <laughs> and he's, and he's threatened to do it, uh, multiple times. So, um, but That's yeah, ab absolutely. I, I get, you know, uh, I get a lot of shit from people. Um, it comes with the territory and I'm, I'm totally cool with it. Actually, when, when he bought the team, uh, 11 years ago, I, ironically, I was supposed to go and work for the Phoenix Suns. I was going to be an intern, actually, basketball person for Steve Kerr, ironically, of all people, who's now our head coach. Oh, wow. Um, and he resigned as general manager of the Phoenix Suns as I was finishing up school. And so I actually lost the internship. He called me and said, I'm so sorry, I'm resigning. So you're probably not going to have this internship. I'm sure the new person, I was like, hey, man, it's your, your life. Like, don't apologize to me. Like, I'll be, I'll figure it out. I'll be okay. I mean, this was my dream job, but like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. A few months later, my dad buys my hometown team. So, um, you know, I actually went through a period there where, uh, I, I've told this story before, but he turned to me when, when the, the deal was done, done, like signed. And there's a whole story behind that. He turned to me and he's like, are you ready to do this? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, let's, you want to come work for the team? And I was like, no. And he was like, what? He's like, this is, this is the Warriors. This is your hometown team, your favorite sport. You want to work in sports. And I was like, I want to work for you. Like I want to do my own thing. Um, it took him a few months and he, he eventually actually, he, he won, he convinced me I should, I should do this. And, and I, I'm really glad I did cause it's everything I wanted. And I think at the time, the only reason I didn't want to do it was because I felt 
bad about my situation. I felt bad that I had an opportunity that others didn't. Um, wow. And, you know, I, I think I, I really wouldn't have taken it um, if it wasn't something I loved and thought I could do really well. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't think feeling bad about having opportunities should be the reason ultimately. Um, but, you know, I, to, to skip, you know, a little bit forward, um, we won our first championship in five years. And I'm sitting there and I was 26 years old, I believe. Um, and I had just basically finished my, I'd crossed off the last thing on my list. Didn't my, what I wanted to do, I wanted to win a championship. And I was like, shit, uh, what do I do now? Um, and I had a conversation <laughs> with, with my dad and my, my mom and some other people. And I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Um, this was supposed to be like, a lifelong battle. It's supposed to be fun. And like, we're at the mountaintop. And this is, I told you this earlier, like I, I kind of felt funny once I got there and I hadn't quite figured out what I loved about it yet. I was just like, we won. Aren't I supposed to feel different about this? Um, so imagine feeling, now don't feel, again, don't feel bad for me. Like at 26, I won this championship. And uh, I basically, I, I finally, I went to him and I was like, look, I, I don't know what to do. Like, should I, should I go to business school, which is something I'd always want to do? Should I go start a company? Like, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're doing huge things. This is the beginning of the beginning. Like, we're just starting. And I think, you know, what, what I learned was that there was so much else out there. I just had to create new challenges. I had to create new things that I was excited about. Um, so, yes, I, I got these other things to do within the organization, which, which were really, really fun and, and challenging. Um, I just, I needed a new mountaintop to climb. Um, I decided, you know, winning one championship was great, but you know, it'd be really cool winning more than one championship. Like how many could we win? Can we etch ourselves in history? So I wanted to be a part of that. Um, I just, I saw things starting to, to change and to grow, um, and evolve. And, and then I told you that I started to realize that all these people that I was working with, um, and I wanted them to succeed. I wanted them to, to, you know, really have professional fulfillment um, and personal fulfillment I made it a mission of mine to help them do that. And so I've realized over time and that, and you know, it's been whatever, six years since that point, there were all these other things that made it all really fun and worth it. Um, and so that's, what's really, I don't want to say keep me going because that sounds like I'm like losing it or something and need like a lifeline, but it re-energized me. Um, and so I, I have found that like the more I can, I can do, the more new things I can find. I, I'm, I'm kind of a builder, creator. I like puzzles. I like solving things. And so um, I found that that's what for me was really valuable. And, and I think what helped me is realizing what I needed uh, meant that I should try to identify what others need too. So I, I start to have that conversation every time we hire somebody. Uh, I sit down with them and I say, Tell me what it is that you want or that you think you want. Um, and let's work from there. And, and then we try to have that conversation once a year. And I, I tell them, be brutally honest with me. What is it that you want? Um, and how can I help you get there? And, you know, how can I help you understand if maybe you don't even know what you want yet? Because I think a lot of younger people, I mean, we, we all did this. Um, you know, how, how many people are in college? They change their major or they're about to finish college. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? And you end up doing something different. And I think we just everyone needs a little bit of a kick, a little bit of help to figure out what it is that they really want to do. They're passionate about. We, we come back to that. You know, what makes them happy? What are they great at? Um, 
Some people it takes longer than others to find that. Some people need the opportunity. Um, you know, some people get an amazing opportunity. Um, some people that opportunity takes longer or smaller and you, you need to build up from that. But um, I think that that is what I have found uh, in, in my time is that uh, you just, you need to find what it is. And, and I think, you know, there's some of us who that is what makes us happy is helping other people find it um, and, and find it in themselves. Uh, so I, I really enjoy those conversations at the end of each year uh, with, with people. That's awesome. What, what can I, what do you want? How are you going to do it? Okay. I can, I will do what I can at the end of the day, you have to do it, but I, I will help, but let's figure it out together. Um, and that, that to me has become uh, really, really fun and valuable. And I, I think that people do when they realize that you actually care about them, um, that, that matters to them. Um, so I know a long winded way to answer your question, but hopefully it helps people. That's very stealable, Kirk. I think you're, a lot of people are going to be taking you up on that. That's amazing. J- really quick, because I think it's important for 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 a lot of folks. It, it sounds like you were in a down um, when when you you thought you might be experiencing an up, and you were able to kind of shift your focus to other people. Uh, was there a moment where you maybe had more focus on yourself versus others, and? Is was was that championship sort of the, the metamorphosis where you were able to to kind of think about yourself less and put your your focus in other people so that there was more meaning in the work that you did every day? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to sign pious and and say that I'm like selfless and thinking about other people. I mean, at the end of the day, my my drive to help these other people is actually to make me feel good. <laughs> so it's it is pretty selfish at, at some level, but I think that's okay. <laughs> um, I I think it's it's totally okay. Um, like, like I said, no, not everybody should be like me. Not everybody should be like you. Not everybody should be Draymond Green or Steph Curry. Like you need to be the own version of yourself. And I think, you know, we, we keep talking about, it, but that's, that's what makes people really good is finding the best version of themselves. And some people need more help than others uh, to find that. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with caring about yourself, with, with focusing on yourself because, and I tell people this when, uh, you know, they, I do a lot of these conversations because I, I was in their shoes with, with younger people who want to work in basketball. Um, or, or sometimes now I even get those who it's something else they want to work in. And, you know, they say, you know, what should I, what should I do to get this job? And I say, look, the last piece of advice I always say is the last thing I'm going to tell you, nobody cares as much about your success as you do. And by the way, nobody should care as much as you do about your success. So my example is when I hang up the phone with you to this person I'm talking to, I'm going to forget the conversation we just had. You may think I said all these great things to you. You know, you're pumped up. I want to help you, but I'm going to forget when I put the phone down because I got a bunch of other things going on that frankly matter more to me than your success. But the best thing you can do is keep going. Hit me up. Remind me, like, take care of yourself because again, nobody cares as much about your success as you do. But if you care about your own success, I, my belief is that other people will too. People, people gravitate towards that. Um, and I, I think I would end with like, at the end of the day, that's kind of what Steph Curry is, you know, coming full circle. Like Steph ultimately cares about his own joy, but it makes other people drawn to him, makes, you know, other people happy. And that, that's key leadership. That's culture. Make people happy. Make people the best version of themselves. And you've got something that can sustain success. Amazing. Uh, I loved it. This was an awesome conversation, Kirk, and so much fun to talk about the success that you've had, but also learn about the challenges. So really appreciate you for joining. This was amazing. 
all the best to the Warriors. We will be rooting. And and I, I know that you guys are focused on that next championship and uh, we'll be rooting for you to get there. So thank you again for being on. Really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. 